21-26. Let's move on with our final conversation, and that being a talk with Dr. Professor Miss Linda Mayer, Director of Operations and Sector Support, Universities, South Africa, after this very short break, talking about teenage pregnancies and academic development. Hashtag SAFM Viewpoint. A shocking statistic South Africa reports from 2020 shows that there were 33,000, sorry, 330,000 teenage mothers. Among them, there were 660 babies birthed by mothers aged 10 years and under. Ghastly. Linda, good evening. Thank you so much. 660 babies birthed by people who will ultimately be their sisters because if you are 10 or under, you don't have a child. You simply have a younger sibling. Yes, no, absolutely, Sanders. And I think this brings a, a big social debate around teenage pregnancies that we're sitting with 136,000 mothers between the ages of 10 and 19. And as you said, 688 births by children that were younger than 10 years old that gave birth during 2020. This, this really is... Um, you know, a profound issue because it brings many systemic issues to the forefront Very. in relation to social grants, in relation to abuse, rape, GV, uh, GBV, child prostitution. So it, it is really a, a scaling uh, discussion that has a myriad of perspectives and social constructs that we need to consider. Let's have those social conversations because you're absolutely right where it is nothing else other than a reflection of South Africa's fractured social system, social security or social programs or social outlook that manifests in these figures. Where is the real crisis? Beyond the numbers or behind the numbers, where exactly is the crisis, Linda? The crisis is in our households across our society. So when we look at our rural children, they're most at risk. But if we look at, at households, we see that during the COVID-19 period, um, you know, GBV cases increased by 57%. So it is systemic and endemic to our societal culture, and it's an acceptance norm where we look at, uh, you know, it's acceptable we, we, when people have, have babies and they themselves are still children. And many times it's not, you know, it, it, it's rape. It's, we know that in South Africa, our sexual offences, uh, the, the age of legal consent is 16 years old. But that children between 12 and 16 will not be criminally charged if they have sex with each other. And there's the Romeo and Juliet clause that says that a child that is 12 years old may have sex with a partner that is not less, uh, that, that is less than two years older than them. And really, Sangeza, I, I want to, to say, I don't know what you knew at 12, but I certainly was not emotionally or socially uh, advanced enough to be engaging in sex, you know. And it's, it's this discussion where we say as a society, we won't let our children drink at 18, but they can have sex at, at 16, legally, or 12, if they're having sex with somebody that's younger than 14. So identity in our society, we need to understand what this, what this uh, constructing uh, challenge is. And, and we see that many children are forced by their parents to, you know, they're prostituted or they're forced to have children 
so that they can get that 460 rand social grant. And for some parents, they, they have their children, have the children, and then they claim the foster grant, which is, is 1,050 rand per month, and, and they can have up to six children mm. that they can get this grant for. So for people that have no other income, if you tell them there's a way for you to get 33,000 rand a year, you know, this, this becomes a very socially uh, difficult conversation for people that can't feed themselves and, and their children are exploited and abused for their bodies to then, uh, you know, feed into this narrative of, of uh, it's acceptable, you know, that, that mm. children have children. Here is what I am picking up from what you're saying. Um, I'm going to use this example just to illustrate truly what I'm getting. If perhaps we were having a conversation about the population of students, not so much high school, but particularly in the university setup, who perhaps don't finish their university studies because of their vulnerabilities. I could almost explain that away as, at the end of the day, it is adult people or people who are in a position to make informed decisions. But it could very well still be, and a very powerful one at that, an excuse as to how vulnerable most South African students are in higher education, more especially in the last 20 months of the COVID times in which we are living. Here is purely a reflection because we're talking about people who are 10 years and younger in the truest sense. And in every sense, we are talking about children. So there are simply instruments that are being used, but the real puppet masters, and I'm using language, this is probably even offensive here, but I'm just trying to get to the point. The people who are still acting all of this out are their parents because you said it starts in the home. It's the community to which the children belong. And all of these things which were never acceptable in a certain time in our lives, which are more and more acceptable now. And I say acceptable simply because there are many trade-offs that are lucrative, including the social security that is in the offing. The question then becomes, how do we change that adult mindset so that it doesn't manifest in these statistics? That's ultimately, at a social level, what we should be engaging in, isn't it, Linda? Absolutely, Sandra. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you've, you've touched on so many points that are critical. And, and obviously the issue around 12 million child grants being paid to support children every every month is is a statistic that is predicated on many other things. And if we had, for example, a food security grant, you know, a, a food poverty line grant where people knew that they had a, at least a basic income to feed their families, all of these other peripheral issues are then things that we need to start engaging in. And having strict criminal enforcement of of these. Um, of these constructs, but also to really, as a society, reflect. And I know that, you know, 16 is not unusual for a legal age of consent uh, globally. It's, it's quite comparative with, with uh, you know, the US, UK, etc. But it really is around what we do if, and, and that we make very clear criminal uh, statements when people are exploiting children and they are having children, that we, that we hold them to account and bring them to book, but that we critically reflect on our legislation to ensure that the framework is not enabling, but really is, the, is, is, is something that detracts 
from encouraging teenage pregnancies. I've heard the most horrific stories of young children with their boys impregnate girls in, in the Eastern Cape schools, and I'm sure it happens across the country, but I've heard from friends of mine that are school principals, and then the, the girl and, and the boy share the social grant every month. So it, it really is a systemic issue across our society that, that we need to that we need to start um, paying particular attention to because it is an escalating problem. Every year we see that, that the numbers are increasing. By tens, you know, it, it's almost 10,000 um, from, from 2019 where we've seen this, this escalation. And there are particular provinces that are at exponential risk. Uh, if I look at, at the statistics from the Northern Cape, which is sitting at 19.3%, and Gauteng is at, at 8.9%. You know, if, you, if, you, if you construct that uh, total teenage pregnancies across this, it, it means that some provinces really need to do significantly more. And alcohol, you know, together we know that these things, we're not blind to what is going mm, on in our mm, community. Mm. Rape, GB, GBV, alcohol, prostitution, uh, uh, increased drug and alcohol abuse, uh, you know, it's it just, it, I, it, it, I don't want it to sound like an insurmountable problem, but we need to take specific elements, break this down, and start making meaningful inroads into, into changing this entire social construct um, that, is, that is, if we don't turn the tide, this is something that really is just going to drag our society down even further. And it becomes an economic construct, right? Because when you talk about Northern Cape, from what we know of the Northern Cape economically, of course it would have this statistic. 19.3 of the girls in that age group, 10 to 19, were giving birth. And Gauteng, the opposite is true. In the context of Gauteng economically being the driver of South Africa's engine, it would have the lowest. So in as much as it manifests socially, it really then, when you're talking about systemic issues, it comes from the structure of the economy and the disparity within the South African economy, right? Absolutely. Now, I mean, I, I can't... Yeah. Sorry. The, the reason why I'm saying that, and I almost needed to get that as a concession, because... When you have a conversation about social grants, best believe you would want, or rather best believe you will hear more people in sort of, let me call them the rural provinces, the Eastern Cape, I come from there so I can call it that, Northern Cape, parts of Limbabwe and Bumalanga, the Northwest, they are more inclined to want the social grants, not to suggest that it is not wanted in the Western Cape elsewhere. There are people who are vulnerable all over in the country. But the Social Security, Section 27 of the Constitution, is not money. Social Security can take form in any shape. You mentioned food security. You mentioned basic income grant and, and, and other forms of Social Security outside it being the child support grant, which currently sits at $12 million. Now, here's one thing I know about any grant in this country. The number of grant recipients is not going to decrease. And the value of the grant each recipient gets is not ever going to decrease. That is, in South Africa, unsustainable. And, of course, it's convenient for the administration now to simply maintain the status quo and make it the problem of the next administration. And that administration will think the same as the previous for the next. And so the vicious cycle continues. I certainly do believe at some point the line has to be drawn and structural changes need to be made. Not at all, though, compromising on social security.
the question then becomes, what are those hard lines that have to be drawn? How do they manifest? And how do we at the same time ensure we don't create a social security problem, but if anything, create a social security breakthrough? That's where the conversation now has to go, surely. Absolutely. And, and, and really, it's all centers around, we always say, if, if people are able to eat, many other things seem possible. So we really need to reevaluate our social grant structure to ensure that that it doesn't enable the wrong things, that it enables the things that we want. We want people to have food security, we want people to have water and electricity security, housing security, but not to perpetuate the ability to eat and, and, and predicate this on these really social ills that become the pivots of what we then uses income-generating uh, constructs. We can't allow our girl children to be abused, and neither our boys, boy children. We know that when, when you know, the families that are in, in drug and alcohol abuse situations, and I mean, we have many empirical research studies that underpin that, that prostituting their children out in sexual abuse of girls and boys is not, is not unusual. Because the social ills just, you know, mm. one thing just builds on the other. And Absolutely. when you look at our youth unemployment, you know, it's not helpful to have to, as taxpayers to be paying, investing, and, and having the highest youth unemployment rate in the world, over 50%, where our graduate unemployment rate is sitting almost at 10%. We, we need to start systemically ensuring that our economic situation that is stable, that it is an enabling environment so that we can ensure that there is economic growth. Because this all is, is underpinning the social ills that, that are growing exponentially. Okay, you and I probably don't have these problems, and I say probably out of assumptions, and I hope it is true because, I mean, it's not a problem anybody wants to have, much less embrace. So let me just assume you and I are not part of the problem, are not affected by this conversation we are having, and we are relatively unscathed. Is that that you and I are having this sort of conversation among ourselves not part of the problem that even manifests in those who formulate policy, in those who are charged with the implementation of policy, charged with the monitoring and evaluation as to the effectiveness of that policy, are people typically like me and you who don't have a relationship with this problem that society has, don't have the sort of experience that would, through lived experience, allow us to make a little more informed a choice which can then be escalated in the form of policy. Are we not talking among ourselves? Are we not typically the bourgeoisie class who are engaging problems of and about people but not talking to the people who are most affected by that? Yes, I mean, there's, there's, absolutely, you know, it's, it's what I always say to people, we, we don't understand. If, if you want to understand the world that we live in, please drive through London Road, um, because I can't. It, 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 it overwhelms me. I'm completely depleted. Just of course, when you say London Road, you're talking yes. about here in Alexandra in Gauteng. Alexandra. Yes, yes, not London in so the UK. No, no. And uh, Sorry, I should have been more specific, but, but the point is exactly that, is... When, when, are, when are the people that are policy influencers actually going to start listening to the people on the ground? Because maybe, maybe what we're doing, not maybe, evidently what we're doing is not working. 
the problem is just growing. And unless the people that actually have the problem are being consulted and are, cre- are, are, are part of creating the solutions, we, we're just going to have this conversation again, you know, year on year, um, with nothing much changing. So, okay, we, at least we both recognize that, and I'm in a position to at least have dialogue. And so my first responsibility is probably on another day on a very similar topic like this, speak to a mother whose daughter has just given birth, because we're obviously not going to be talking to the daughter for obvious reasons. And then Linda Mayer as well engages a critical component of the community that we should be engaging. And the four of us, as it were, have this conversation on radio. I can very much see that conversation taking on a very different direction, simply because, just to elaborate on what I've said that you've agreed, we are, generally speaking, detached from the problems of this country because for so long as there is money that you and I have, we buy our way out of this. We might experience it at the robots when we're stopping our cars every now and then and feel a sense of discomfort for a minute. As minute the light is green, we move on, right, and we engage our own problems. But this South Africa of having at least two very distinct worlds within one is a major problem. Our inequality in every key indicator Access to healthcare, inequality. Access to education, inequality. Access to government services, inequality. Access to communication services, inequality. All of that has created some of these very deep problems, which are simply now a ticking time bomb. And the first sign of, and there have been many signs in advance of this, we've got water shedding, we've got electricity shedding. People decided not to go and vote. Four out of five adults who could have voted simply chose not to. That for us, are all the hallmarks of a country that is going to have some serious problems in 10, 15 years from now if hardcore decisions, if even unpopular, are not made today? Yeah, so I think that you, you know, you've critically framed the debate around who are the inclusive voices and who should we be listening to? Because it's, it's, it's people are, are, many people are feeling hopeless. Those that have are feeling helpless. Those that don't have are feeling helpless. But somewhere we need to navigate ourselves out of this construct to start finding uh, solutions that, that are workable. You know, this is, this, is a, this is a huge problem. And what do we do? We can't just give up. We need to start changing the discourse. And as you, you rightfully say, having more inclusive discussions and start listening to what, what everybody wants, not just the haves. It's not going to bring us anywhere. And in the final analysis, as we started it, we are talking about children aged 10 years and younger are now mothers. It is not them who are at fault here. It's the world in which they entered, and we gave them that world, and we have robbed a generation, an entire generation of their life. I mean, I'm not going to say their best years. We have robbed them of their life. On current facts, there's another generation that's waiting to be robbed of their lives unless something dramatic happens and changes. Final comment, Linda. Yes, I think, Sandeza, I, I think that this, this issue, the systemic issue, needs to really see policy framing where we need to look at, at the legislation and we need to be very hard on people that abuse our children. Because, you know, I wasn't ready to have a child at 50. I don't know how, how we expect children to have children and raise them to become functional citizens in in a very difficult world. Always a pleasure talking to you, Linda.
but the conversation sometimes is scarcely a pleasure because it just forces us to engage our privilege against the tremendous and the tremendous scarcity of everything, including resources, and this genuine opportunity to opportunity. Yeah, I've enjoyed talking to you, but we've got, a, we've got our work cut out. We've got our hands tied here. Thanks, Linda Mayer, Director of Operations and Sector Support, University of South Africa. Go well, Linda. Thank you, Thank you for the opportunity. Absolute pleasure. 2147, folks, thank you so much.